0: Happy Sunday, church family, and welcome uh, to everyone who's listening in online this weekend. We're so excited that you're joining us for our weekly podcast. We're in week four of our message series, Who's My Neighbor? And I hope you're keeping your servant's towel handy from last week's message as we look for opportunities to serve with compassion. Uh, We ordered 100 of these hand towels, so if you're listening online and you didn't have an opportunity to come in person last week and pick one up, uh, you can still do that. We've got them available in the office if you'd like to stop by. Uh, Again, I want to encourage everyone to keep these towels visible, Uh, hang them up on the fridge, uh, keep them in the car, just anywhere that you can see them because they act as a reminder to serve with compassion. We live in a culture that values things that are more popular are bigger, and seem to have more influence. In fact, I remember when the show American Idol came out back in 2002. I didn't know a single person who wasn't watching it on Tuesday nights. Uh, families all across America, they'd tune in week after week to help pick who would win and then ultimately receive a celebrity status. And we see this everywhere we look. And we tend to think uh, that the bigger or more popular something or someone is, the better. I want to give you a short quiz this morning that I think will help you see what I'm talking about. So um, I'll give you the quiz in two parts. Now, just know ahead of time that you'll most likely ace or pass the first part, and you'll most likely flunk the second part. So when I read a question, you can just answer in your own mind, uh, or you can write the answer down on a piece of paper this morning. So here's the first part. Which country has the largest population? Think about that for for just a moment. Which country has the largest population? All right, if you wrote down China, you're absolutely correct. There's an estimated 1.42 billion people in China. Now, if you wrote down India, that's a a close second. (laughs) All right, question number two. What is the world's tallest mountain? What's the world's tallest mountain? I'll give you just a moment to write that down or think about that. I think this is a pretty easy one. The answer is Mount Everest. Uh, Mount Everest stands 29,029 feet above sea level. That's pretty amazing. All right, question number three. What is the tallest type of tree on earth? What's the tallest type of tree on earth? Think about that for just a few moments. Right, the answer is the redwood tree, and more specifically, the California redwood. Um, I've never seen these trees in person, but I've seen photos, and I know people who have, and I've heard it's just an amazing sight to see. Um, all right, fourth and final question for this first part. Who was the first president of the United States? Who was the first president of the United States? All right, as you're writing it down, you're thinking about it, the answer is George Washington. All right, he came into office in 1789 as our first president. Um, let's look at the second half of the quiz. First question for this second half of the quiz. Um, which country has the smallest population? And As you're thinking about this uh, or writing down your answer, I will say my wife and I recently watched a documentary uh, that was all about this particular country. So I knew the answer in advance, but I did double check and... Uh, my suspicions were correct. So the country is the country of Nauru. Uh, There's 10,756 people on this island, and it's located northeast, quite a ways off the coast of Australia. So you can go look at a map and try to find it today. Uh, Question number two, what is the world's smallest mountain? What's the world's smallest mountain? All right, write this down or uh, think about your answer for just a moment. All right, the answer is Mount proof. all right? It stands 486 feet tall. It's located in Australia. And, you know, it got me thinking how tall our bluffs are and uh, what the standard is for something being a mountain. All right, I wonder how far off our bluffs are from hitting that point. I know for our boys, we're from Oklahoma, so they seem like mountains to them. <laughs> all right, question number three, what is the shortest type of tree on earth? What's the shortest type of tree on earth? As you're thinking about this or writing your answer down, um, this is one I didn't know the answer to, so I went and and looked it up this week, and the answer is the dwarf willow. Um, It stands five centimeters tall um, when it's fully grown. That's a little less than two inches tall. Um, I think this would be pretty neat to have a dwarf willow in your house or in your office. That would be kind of cool. All right, question number four. Who was the 23rd president of the United States? Who was the 23rd president of the United States? All right, I'll give you a moment to think about this answer. All right, the answer is Benjamin Harris. And uh, I'll be honest, I didn't know the answer to this question when I wrote it down. And uh, come to find out, back in 2012, there was an article that came out that listed Benjamin Harris as uh, the most forgotten U.S. president. And I'm going to have to do a little more research and study to figure out why that is. But I wonder how you did on this quiz. You know, I would imagine that you did much better on the first half, at least the majority of people. Um, You see, we tend to recognize, respect, and remember the things in life that are big, uh, popular, or seem better while giving little attention to the small things. This is true in the world that that we live as a whole, but it's, it's also true in the church. We tend to think in terms of bigger is better. You know, bigger churches, uh, bigger church budgets, um, you know, churches that have larger staffs or having a bigger children's and youth ministry. And the list goes on. But what if I told you that God doesn't place value on people or things based on how big or popular they are, uh, but instead cares a lot more about what he's doing in and through a person's life? I have a few friends who serve on staff at much larger churches, and the overwhelming attitude is that uh, serving at a larger church is better. You know, Larger churches tend to have more resources at their disposal, and the individual staff members, they can focus on one area of ministry as opposed to wearing multiple hats. I can definitely see the appeal to this, but I want to remind you that not every church is meant to be a thousand people. Or 2,500 people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people. Many of you will be familiar with Outreach Magazine. It's a Christian magazine. And uh, what's interesting is that once a year, uh, Outreach publishes a yearly list of some of the largest churches in America, as well as a list of some of the fastest growing churches around the world. The churches that, that make up this list are doing some great things. it's actually really neat to see the churches that show up and learn a little bit more about these churches. Um, but it's good to be reminded that uh, these type of churches, especially the larger churches, they only make up about five percent of all Christian churches around the world. In fact, the majority of churches only average about one hundred and fifty people or less in their weekly attendance. I say this only to make the point that We tend to place so much more value on on the bigger organizations. Bigger colleges tend to get more press. uh, Famous people get more love on Twitter. And more expensive cars and bigger houses are what people aim for. The result of this is that many people feel like their lives don't count for much or that their lives don't really matter. Well, friends, I'm so excited to share with you today that God views things a lot differently than we do. Um, Just because something is big or popular uh, doesn't mean that it's better. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 13. Um, If you have your smartphone, your tablet, you can use that as well. And uh, we're going to look specifically at verses 18 through 21. All right, Dr. Luke wrote these words. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So in this passage, Jesus asks an important question. He says, What is the kingdom of God like? See, no one had ever seen the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about. In fact, the first time we see or hear these words are early on in the Gospels when John the Baptist was preaching. His message was this Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. And this is the same exact message that Jesus preached throughout his entire earthly ministry after he was baptized. He said, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus references this kingdom more than 80 times throughout the Gospels. At least seven times, he says something like this. The kingdom of heaven is near or it had come upon them. He gives examples of what the kingdom is like, but he never defines it. I think that's so interesting. He just told stories and gave comparisons to help people understand and visualize what the kingdom of God was like. And that's what he's doing in these four verses. In his first example, he tells his listeners that God's working is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in his branches. So the mustard seed is extremely small. In fact, the, the black mustard seed was the smallest seed ever planted by a first century farmer in that part of the world. Now, if you were here on Sunday morning, um, you'd see a photo that I put up on the screen. But I want to encourage you to go look this up this week. Um, look up some photos of uh, the black mustard seed. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But even though the mustard seed was was so small, it grew to become one of the largest trees in the area, maybe the largest. It typically grew between 10 and 12 feet tall and was big and and bushy enough for birds to make their nests in it. Now, in his second illustration, Jesus says that God's working is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every single part of the dough. So as a young boy, Jesus would have watched his mom make the daily bread and she would have used yeast to make it rise. Now she would not have used dry yeast like what's commonly used today. Instead, she would have taken a small lump of dough from the previous day's bread. As she'd take that lump of dough and knead it into the new flour mixture and then eventually the yeast would permeate and influence the entire batch. Now this is a really neat visual. But the most important part of this illustration, I think, is in the amount of flour the small amount of yeast was mixed into. See, the amount gets lost in translation from uh, Greek to English. Um, The New Living Translation that I'm using this morning, it says three measures of flour. And if you're looking at the NIV, it'll say a large amount of flour. So exactly how much is that? You know, three measures of flour, a large amount of flour. Um, In the Greek... Uh, The exact words that we see are three sattas, three sattas. And and we know that three sattas is about 50 pounds of flour. Why is that significant? That's a lot of flour. 50 pounds of flour would feed around 100 people. Um, This was a lot more bread than what was needed for one day. It's more dough than the average household oven could even hold. So the vastness of the dimensions given in Jesus' parable shows us he wasn't describing an ordinary household baking situation, right? This wasn't like making a trip to your grandma's house. He was illustrating that even though the original ball of yeast was, was so small, it ended up having a huge influence. It had a huge impact. So what's the point of these two examples? Well, Jesus wasn't teaching us about horticulture or, or baking. He was teaching an important kingdom of God truth. And that truth is this, when it comes to spiritual things, God is in the small things. Let me say that again. When it comes to spiritual things, God is in the small things. I'll give you just a few examples of what I'm talking about. When God wanted to create a new nation to call his own, he didn't start with a large established family. Instead, he used a man and a woman who were too old to conceive children of their own, at least in the world's eyes. And their names were Abraham and Sarai or Sarah. When God wanted to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, he used a man who was rejected by his own people and who'd spent most of his life leading sheep. His name was Moses. When God wanted a king to represent his people, he didn't choose the best looking, the strongest or the most popular guy around. No, he, he chose really the opposite of that. He chose a shepherd boy. His name was David. When Jesus wanted to feed 5,000 people, he didn't have Olive Garden cater the event. No, instead, he used a child's sack lunch. He multiplied the bread and the fish. When Jesus watched how people gave, as he observed generosity, he he wasn't impressed by the big donors. Instead, he was impressed by the widow's penny. And when God came to earth as a human, he, he didn't choose a rich and famous family to be born into. He came as a baby who was born in a barn and born to a poor and seemingly insignificant family. You see, church, God is in the small things. The people or the things that we see and and that we view as being too small or too insignificant to make any kind of real difference. These are the things that God often uses to accomplish his purpose. Maybe you have felt too small or too insignificant to make any kind of real difference for Christ. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to allow God's word, specifically 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven through 27-31, uh, to speak into your life this morning. It's in these verses that the Apostle Paul writes these words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'll say it again. God is in the small things. And not only is God involved in the small things, but we should also be involved in the small things. We need to remember what the word ministry actually means. Uh, The word ministry in the Greek is the word diakonia. Uh, The root word is konos, which means dust or grit. So in other words, ministry is dirty work. It's difficult work. It's hard work. Ministry is rolling up our sleeves and doing the things that seem unimportant in the world's eyes. We actually get our word ministry from the Latin root for small things or minuscule things. So, Ministry is involved in the small things. We're called to be involved in little acts, small gestures, and simple everyday service of serving God and others. And aren't these the kinds of things that matter the most to us when others do them? I mean, maybe you had a teacher in school who influenced your life in a huge way. Or maybe you had a friend who was there for you during an extremely difficult season. Maybe you had someone who taught you a simple biblical truth that has changed the course of your life. Or someone who just made you feel appreciated. You know, it's been really encouraging to hear all the stories from the women in our church over the past several months um, who've participated in the Unexpected Goodness or Secret Sisters ministry that was started, again, just a few months ago. Um, I've heard stories from uh, my wife as well as other women in the church for how much this has impacted uh, their lives during what's been a very difficult season, a very challenging season. You know, the people who've made the biggest difference in your life are not the ones who've won American Idol or who have a million plus followers on Twitter. They're the ones who do the little things, especially when no one else is watching. Uh, 2012 was a big year for my family. Um, We were wrapping up four years of student ministry at Lakewood Christian Church in McAllister, Oklahoma, and we were sensing that God was calling us uh, to something new. Um, we started interviewing at different churches and uh, we flew down to, uh, or flew up to Clayton, Indiana, uh, to Clayton Christian Church. And um, they were hiring a family pastor, someone who would oversee uh, ages birth through college. And this is exactly what we felt like God was calling us to. Well, when we went on this interview, uh, we had one son at the time, and Faith was pregnant with our second child. Uh, she was several weeks into her pregnancy. And I remember how excited. Uh, not only we were, but the people at the church uh, for a new family possibly coming and uh, they would add numbers based on you know, new children. That's always a fun thing. Well, we accepted the position and uh, the church was excited and we were excited and uh, we got home and shortly after we got back to McAllister, faith started having some complications and uh, we went to the doctor and we received the news that um, we had lost the baby. I can't really put to words how difficult this season was uh, for us, how difficult it was uh, for faith. You know, we visited this church and accepted a position, and they were expecting a family to come, and then uh, that family to grow from three to four, and that wasn't going to happen. I remember uh, one individual who made a huge impact in our family's life, and specifically in my wife's life. Her name was Anne-Marie House. She is the wife of the pastor, uh, the former pastor at Lakewood. He's since retired. Um, She's also the mom of Caleb and Casey House, who visited our church just a a month or two ago. Uh, They were former students of ours. Um, Anne-Marie came to the house numerous times, uh, prayed with faith, encouraged her. She brought her a journal that had encouraging Uh, phrases in it, as well as scripture references that faith could look up. And I just remember this being such a a huge deal to faith and making such a huge impact in our lives. Friends, what if we all did small things to serve others? You know, the little acts, the, the small gestures and simple everyday service, these things are like the mustard seed and yeast that Jesus used in the parable. A little bit goes a long way. Can you imagine how God would use this church if collectively we said yes to the opportunities that he puts in front of us to serve with compassion, regardless of the size or amount of influence we we think we might have? I want to encourage you to say yes to these kinds of opportunities. You know, be the one to start a chain reaction for what it looks like to serve with compassion. You know, I believe that in Christ, um, one life, Can make a kingdom impact. One small church in Onalaska, Wisconsin, can make a kingdom impact. I believe this with all my heart because we serve a huge God. As I wrap up my message today, I want to give you a few truths that you can apply to your own life as you look for opportunities to serve with compassion. Truth number one God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. You know, one of the things that I love about God's word is the constant reminder about how God likes to use ordinary people and ordinary things for his extraordinary purpose. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 28, is just one passage that talks about a few small, ordinary, yet very wise things that were made for God's glory. This is what we read in these verses. It says, there are four things on earth that are small, but unusually wise. Ants, they aren't strong, but they store up food all summer. Rock badgers, they aren't powerful, but they make their homes among the rocks. Locusts, they have no king, but they march in formation. Lizards, they're easy to catch, but they're found even in king's palaces. You know, I don't think this person understood my life when he was writing this because I've tried to catch lizards and it just doesn't work. You know, we're from Oklahoma and I have an uncle who lives in Arizona and that was never easy. But the point is this, that God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary things to accomplish his extraordinary work, his extraordinary purpose. Um, If you're an ordinary person, you know, God will use you. He wants to use you. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, Truth number two, God uses teachable people. God uses teachable people. This truth is so important. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, um, we're reminded about the purpose of God's word in our lives, uh, the power of God's word in our lives. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our own lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So God's word um, teaches us God's truths. And then uh, through the leading and the the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to live these things out. We're able to live these truths out. You know, the early disciples, they they weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we saw last week how even on the night before Jesus's crucifixion, um, they were seen arguing about which one in the group was the greatest. this, This was pretty common for these early disciples. They definitely had their moments, uh, moments of struggle and sin. But it's important to recognize that they were teachable. They were teachable. They understood that uh, Jesus was so much greater than they were, and that for God to use them, uh, they had to decrease so that Jesus could increase in their lives. A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. Uh, Disciples learn, they're they're moldable and teachable because of God's work in their lives. And this is through the counsel of God's word and by the leading of his Holy Spirit. I have a question for you today. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Or are you stuck in your ways? You know, there's that that saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, I I hope that's not you today. I hope that you would say, God, I want to be teachable. I want to be used by you. If you're teachable, God can use your ordinary life for extraordinary kingdom impact. So God uses teachable people. Um, truth number three, God uses faithful people. God uses faithful people. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, we read these words. Um, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he's promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. This is such a wonderful passage of scripture, a great reminder. You know, friends, this season has not been easy For most people, I think it's fair to say that this season has been a struggle, you know, a struggle for students, for families, for businesses, and for our church family. But regardless of the season or situation, God wants us to continue to have this this confident trust that Hebrews talks about. We can stay strong and courageous because our strength and courage comes from the Lord, it doesn't come from the world. I want to challenge you to remain faithful this season. You know, when others go in different directions, off the path that God has called us to walk, um, you stay faithful. You stay on the narrow path. Remain faithful in your marriage. Remain faithful in your work, in your parenting, in your Christian witness and service, and in your relationship with God. God uses faithful people because they walk by faith, keeping their focus on him. So in Luke 13, Jesus taught us what the kingdom of God is like. And today, you, you may feel like an ordinary person who does ordinary things, but God likes to use ordinary people for extraordinary kingdom work. You may be struggling in your Christian walk, but I want to encourage you to be teachable. Look for the lesson or lessons that God is trying to teach you this season and live by the counsel of his word and by the leading of his Holy Spirit. And finally, remain faithful. When others turn away, keep your eyes on the Lord. Church, God is in the small things. Um, Our efforts may seem like a tiny drop of water in a vast ocean of people, but we have to remember that God can take our little and make it a lot. So let's look for those opportunities to serve with compassion, regardless of the size of the act. God can take our little and make it a lot. God is in the small things.